Joining us now on the VIN podcast, a very special guest, Congressman Mike Lawler, who represents a large Orthodox Jewish population in Rockland County. The congressman has been a close friend of the Jewish community for many years. Congressman Lawler, this is a real privilege. Thank you so much for being here. Happy to join you. Yes, I want to ask you about several issues. I want to get to the debt ceiling, the migrant crisis, but let's begin with an issue very relevant to our community, CUNY. We have all seen the video of Fatima Muhammad's venomous anti-Semitic commencement address at CUNY Law School. And look, there's been a lot of outrage expressed, which is great, but I believe that you are the only politician who's taking real action to prevent our tax dollars from funding this sort of anti-Semitism and hate. You introduced a bill last week to defund colleges which support anti-Semitic activities on campus. So could you please tell us about that? Uh, yeah, look, this is the type of stuff uh, that should not and cannot be tolerated uh, anywhere in our country. And, you know, we've seen a rapid rise in anti-Semitism, uh, uh, you know, especially uh, on college campuses. Uh, and last year during the campaign, I said uh, when there was an incident on UC Berkeley uh, that I would be introducing legislation to combat this. Uh, and, you know, we, we saw it here, uh, at, uh, CUNY. Uh, and, you know, my feeling is we have to act. We, we have to root this out, uh, at its core. Uh, and so that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, money talks. And if these institutions understand, uh, that federal funding is at stake, uh, they're a lot less likely uh, to uh, to allow this type of conduct and behavior to take place. And so uh, that was the impetus in, in putting this legislation forward uh, and really sending a message to all of uh, these institutions across the country uh, that they need to stop being breeding grounds for anti-Semitism. People certainly have the right uh, to hate speech, uh, but we don't have to fund it. And we don't have to tolerate it. Yeah. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, institutions need to understand, especially institutions of higher uh, education and learning, that this is uh, not uh, going to be tolerated at all. Absolutely. Really appreciate that. And from what I read, the bill has eight co-sponsors, all Republicans. It seems like this bill is a no brainer. Is there not a single Democrat who would co-sponsor this bill? Well, we're still working through it. Um, you know, we're trying to uh, get as many co-sponsors as possible. And so hopefully my Democratic colleagues uh, will join me uh, in, in supporting this legislation. Uh, it's just if we want to root out anti-Semitism or racism or hatred of any kind, uh, then, you know, taxpayer dollars should never be used to, to fund it. And if people understand that and they understand there are real consequences to it, uh, then, you know, I think we're more likely to get some some uh, positive action uh, taken by these institutions to crack down on it. Right. Exactly. I mean, I saw some people on the left make the point. They say, oh, Republicans like free speech, but they don't like free speech when it's hate speech. And, and as you say, the obvious point is they want to have free speech. They want to go to a public park and make these comments. They have every right to do that. We don't have to pay for it. Taxpayers don't have to pay for it. Well, that's it. To me, this is very simple. Taxpayers don't have to be on the hook to fund this kind of nonsense, period. And uh, and that and that's what I'm saying here is you want to go say it. You want to spew this type of vitriol. That's your right. Uh, but we don't have to fund it 
and our institutions of higher education certainly shouldn't tolerate it. I really, really appreciate what you're doing there. All right, moving on, uh, Eric Adams, Mayor Eric Adams, there, of course, was a very big uproar several weeks ago in Rockland County, other counties upstate. Mayor Adams sent hundreds of migrants to a hotel in Orange Town, and I know you were outraged by that. You were very vocal. What is the status of that whole situation right now? Well, it's still in court. Um, you know, the uh, court just ruled again that the uh, there's still a, a temporary restraining order on uh, the hotel uh, taking in migrants. Uh, the challenge here is very simple. New York City does not have the right nor the authority to set up New York City shelters in other municipalities and jurisdictions uh, across the state. And while I empathize with the mayor about the challenges he's facing in trying to house, uh, you know, tens of thousands of migrants, uh, this is in part a policy choice that New York City has made, uh, both in terms of uh, the right to shelter as well as uh, being a sanctuary city. And for years, many of my colleagues on the Democratic side didn't care that border communities on the southern border were being overrun uh, by, you know, uh, illegal immigration, and they didn't care about it. But now that it has come to their doorstep, uh, they're a little more acutely aware of it. And I think the challenge here is that from a federal perspective, we need to come up with a, a solution to secure our border and to address those that are here undocumented. Uh, but we also need to obviously have a long-term immigration plan that works. Uh, and the governor and the mayor should be working w- with local municipalities uh, in the immediate. But on top of that, they should be demanding action by the Biden administration uh, with respect to uh, trying to get a, a, a border security package that stops this massive influx uh, of migrants coming through, uh, you know, uh, the southern border and and into communities all across the country. Right. I mean, exactly. They're literally, their policies, which are still in place right now, Biden, of course, reversed Trump's policies, which did an an incredible amount to really stop the flow uh, of illegals and of asylum seekers across the country. So these policies clearly directly result from President Biden. And what's amazing is Mayor Adams himself went to court and asked the judge to essentially rescind or limit New York City sanctuary status, right? So on the one hand, he's sending migrants to other places, and he's saying that he doesn't want them in New York City anymore. No no question, you know, and uh, he obviously, you know, he called it morally bankrupt uh, when southern state governors were sending migrants up to, to New York right. City. Uh, and then, of course, is doing the exact same thing to municipalities throughout New York that he was decrying uh, just a few months ago. The difference is those municipalities, by and large, are not sanctuary cities. Right. Uh, they didn't choose this type of policy. Uh, and so, you know, that is that is a real uh, challenge and something that we need to uh, to address. But it's got to be done collaboratively. Uh, and the governor and the mayor uh, cannot dictate to these jurisdictions. They need to be working with them. Uh, folks, you know, we have real challenges in this country. Uh, you have major issues of food insecurity, of, of housing, uh, of housing options, uh, for residents. And, you know, people are seeing what's going on and they, and they're wondering, well, what about the support that I need? And so this is a real, a real challenge. It's a humanitarian crisis, uh, but it needs to be dealt with 
in in a serious way uh, that looks at the failed policies, both on a federal level and here in New York, uh, that are helping contribute to this mess. Right. And did you see a couple weeks ago, Mayor Eric Adams, he made comments uh, that were a little disturbing, I think, about uh, County Executive Ed Day. He accused him of somehow being having bigotry or anti-Semitism. Well, I, I think it's I think it's unfortunate that the mayor would uh, devolve into that. It, it doesn't help matters. It doesn't uh, actually solve any problems, and it frankly just raises tensions unnecessarily. Uh, you know, we need to be focused on how to solve these challenges. Ed Day's done a great job standing up for the people of Rockland County, uh, pushing back against this overreach by the mayor and by the governor, uh, and, and and demanding accountability. And, uh, you know, there needs to be transparency in this process. Uh, and, and that's what the county and what the municipalities were asking for and, and should ask for when dealing with a crisis of this magnitude. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well said. I want to get to the debt ceiling because obviously that is the big hot topic last few weeks. Uh, you voted in favor of uh, Kevin McCarthy's bill, the debt ceiling hike. You've been very supportive of this and you feel that this was a big win for Republicans, for the country, and I'm sure for your many constituents. So why do you think that uh, this was such a good, good bill, good deal? Well, obviously, default was never an option. I mean, it would be cataclysmic to the economy. Our debt would explode with higher interest rates. Uh, so default was not an option. And, and I said from the very beginning, uh, the president needed to negotiate with the speaker in good faith. We had to cut spending and we could not default. And I think this bill, while perfect, uh, accomplishes those three main goals. Uh, and as evidenced by the broad bipartisan support that it had, uh, I think most uh, most folks uh, were acting in good faith on this. And we saw uh, going forward $2.1 trillion in savings over the next six years, a 1% spending cap, work requirements on those able-bodied single uh, adult uh, Americans who don't have any dependents, um, you know, that's a good thing. We want to get them back on their feet, but we want to get them working uh, and having a, a job for the long term and, and not being reliant on, uh, you know, social services. So, you know, there's a lot to like in here, uh, you know, and certainly as we move forward uh, through the appropriations process, we're going to be working to reduce spending even further and find uh, ways to, to continue to bend the curve and get our economy right size. But this is a good start. It's progress. Uh, and in a divided government, you're not going to get everything you want. Uh, but you have to be willing to, to negotiate and work together and, and find compromise and, and really ultimately find solutions for the American people. And that's what this bill does. OK, I understand that. And I definitely think people appreciate the bipartisanship. And like you're saying, working together, default was definitely not an option. If I could get your reaction, I guess some of the issues people had or conservatives had or criticisms, uh, at number one, uh, the work requirements did not apply to Medicaid recipients. I know some people felt that if a 30-year-old able-bodied male should have a work requirement to get Medicaid coverage. And um, it, it did, you're right, it did expand, let's say, SNAP benefits, I think, increased the age from age 49 to age 55 or something like that. Um, so, that yeah, and, and it's not it's not a spending. Am I correct that there was no spending cuts? It was a spending freeze, and they're freezing at current levels, and then, like you said, a 1% increase, which in Washington, D.C., I understand that that's a very big accomplishment. But um, the hope was that there would be, with, with a $1.5 trillion deficit or so, um, more spending cuts? 
again, it's saving. CBO has scored it, saving two point one trillion dollars. Uh, it's the largest deficit reduction plan that has ever passed Congress. Uh, with respect to uh, spending, you know, Social Security, Medicare, defense, and veterans were off the table. Right. Everything else right. is, is is below fiscal year 2022 spending levels. So you, you saw a reduction there. Uh, and, again, the 1% cap is going to keep uh, uh, growth in spending lower than it's ever been. Uh, that is a that is a win for the American people uh, with respect to, you know, uh, Medicaid not having uh, work requirements. Obviously, you know, you negotiate the per give there. Uh, but we were able to increase uh, work requirements on on those receiving SNAP and TANF, able bodied American adults. Uh, and in addition, we were able to cap uh, the waiver from. 12% to 8%. And that will see a significant savings over the course of, of uh, the next six years plus uh, at the state level, because so many of these states were rolling over the waivers. And, and you had some states waiving people at 100%. So this is this is going to be significant savings over the long term. Uh, and again, you, you got to make progress. Is it always going to be everything you want? No. Is it going to be perfect? No. Uh, but you have to find uh, ways to advance the ball forward, and that's what we did here, and we'll continue to chip away at it. Okay, I really do appreciate that. One final question, if I can. Several weeks ago, you and Kevin McCarthy and many Republicans took a historic trip to Israel, and I I felt it was incredible the way you interacted with the Netanyahu government. Can you just describe to us, tell us what that experience was like? It was a a great experience. It was my first trip to Israel. Uh, We got to uh, tour the old city in Jerusalem and uh, see the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Western Wall and the City of David, uh, as well as to meet with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Herzog, Speaker Ohana. Uh, we had great conversations about uh, the, the special relationship that the United States and Israel enjoy, especially as we celebrated the 75th anniversary. Speaker McCarthy is only the second speaker in the history of the United States to speak at the Knesset behind Newt Gingrich. And so uh, that was a a great experience. Um, But we talked about some of the challenges, especially with Iran and uh, the important uh, need to bring Saudi Arabia to the table with Israel uh, and to grow and expand the Abraham Accords. Uh, And so we'll continue uh, to to work uh, to strengthen the relationship between the United States and Israel, uh, as well as to, to build upon the success of the Abraham Accords. Uh, but it was a it was a great experience, and um, you know that's why I'm excited about uh, the bill I introduced uh, to create a special envoy for the Abraham Accords, and uh, hopefully passing that this month uh, in the House. So it's uh, we we passed it out of uh, the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, a few weeks ago, and hopefully it'll be coming to the floor soon, uh, so we can yeah. uh, get that through the House and over to the Senate. That would be amazing. That's a very big deal. We okay, we'll we'll leave it there, Congressman Lola. I want to just say. You're a sincere, eloquent person. You know, I've actually seen you appear in person and, you know, your priorities are so, so spot on, not just for our community, by the way, but just for for the country, just for people. I mean, you really are a caring, caring person. So I I think you could have the potential to go very, very far as a leader and uh, and in politics. So thank you so much for taking the time and for everything that you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Congressman Mike Lawler on the Vin News podcast.